Hi, welcome to our podcast. To learn more about Liverpool One Church, join us live, give financially and to get involved, head to liverpoolonechurch.com. We believe God wants to do great things in and through your life today. Enjoy this message. You can go ahead and take your seats. I doubt I'm going to be as entertaining as the last little lady who was just on this stage. She is amazing. Um, But welcome to church. And if church is not what you ordinarily do, or you're here on the back of an invite, because maybe you're here watching, come to see and participate in one of the baby dedications, then I'm so glad you're here, because I really believe that you're going to get something out of this section as well. Because I think whether you call yourself a Christ follower or not, that this is just basic information and help to assist us all through our life. You know, if there's one thing that I could give to advice that I could give to all of our new parents today, it would be this, enjoy the moment because the moments go so quickly. And we just have this habit, don't we, of like, when we're pregnant, we can't wait for the baby to be born because we just need to see who he or she looks like. And then the baby's born and we're like, oh, you know, just six weeks, then they start smiling. And then then when they crawl, and we're always talking about the next thing, and and when they do the next thing, and we never savor the moment. I mean, those of you who are here with Fahaley and John, I mean, Flossie started walking last week. You know she's got three dance moves down already. Like, the the, the kids advance, because we are all looking for the next thing. You know, we want them to walk, and we want to ride a bike. Can they swim? But, you know, we do that with our lives as well. We very rarely live in the moment because we're always on to the next thing. Our bodies might be in the moment, but our head is always thinking about the next thing and the next stage. And we're in a series currently in church called How to Sabotage Your Life. That word sabotage means to prevent something or to ruin something. If you booked to go on a summer holiday and you went abroad expecting full sunshine and it poured down for two weeks, you would say the weather sabotaged our holiday. And we self-sabotage our own lives because we're all busy living at a pace of life that we were never designed to live at. Every day, we are over-informed, over-occupied, over-committed, over-driven, and we overthink everything. And this overthinking, overstimulating lifestyle is completely unsustainable. And we know it's unsustainable because by the time you get to bed at night, you are not relaxed and able to switch off, but you lie there restless because you can't stop thinking of all the things that you wish you'd got done that you never got done that day. Why? Because we crave for the more. We're living life that busy mentally, physically, and emotionally, that it is self-sabotaging as of the life that we have because we're missing the here and the now moment. This constant strive that we have for bigger, for better, for more, it's self-sabotaging because in your attempt to find contentment in life, resentment of life is growing in you because you don't know how to stop, how to pause how to appreciate, how to celebrate. Some of you, it's 
been that long since you celebrated anything because when you've achieved one thing, you're just straight on to the next thing. And so we're, we are losing the ability to just listen and feel and be in the moment. We are self-sabotaging our own lives by striving for the next thing. Well, pastor and best-selling author, John Mark Homer, he says about this generation that we have an illness, an illness that's like a highly contagious virus. And he calls this illness hurry sickness. And he says about hurry sickness, it's not an illness of the schedule, but it's an illness of the soul. Hurry sickness is not about how much stuff you've got to do in the day and getting through your checklist, although that is it in part but it is a sickness of the soul. It's when your inner being becomes so infected with feelings of being discontent or you have the fear of always missing out that we busy our lives up with things that feel good to us but may not necessarily be good for us. And so these things are taking our time and emotionally draining us, but at the end of the day, you still feel as empty and as flat as you've ever felt before. And it always leaves you just wanting more. King Solomon was one of the wisest men that ever lived. He wrote the entire book of Proverbs in the Bible, but he also wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. He was a very rich, wealthy man. He had all the wealth, but the Bible also says that he had wisdom like no other. When he got near to the end of his days, he had done the lot. He said about his life, he said, I've built empires, I've built kingdoms. He had multiple wives and concubines and kids everywhere. And he had all the clothes and the jewels and the gold and the silver and manservants and maidservants. He planted and built vineyards and farmland like there was nothing Solomon hadn't done. And he got to the end of his life and he said, you know what? It was all like chasing the wind. He said, it's like chasing the wind. It didn't do it for me. I never felt satisfied. The more I got, the more I wanted. But then he concluded, actually, the best thing that you can do with your life is love God and follow his ways. That's it. He just is the only thing that's going to absolutely satisfy you in life is when you love God and love his ways. And he was able to say that because he understood that God was his creator. And when God made mankind and designed mankind, he gave, he gave us capacity. He put capacity on you. He put ability within you and he put a grace over you for you to be able to do all that you need to be able to do in life. God designed you. He knows you intricately and individually. And therefore, he knows the best way for you to get through your life and to get out of life what you desire in life. He designed you. So the cravings and the longings that you have on the inside, guess where they came from? They were put in you when he designed you and he knows how to, the best way to get them out of you. And so when we feel stressed, when we feel anxious, when we're feeling burnt out, it means we're either doing something out of his timing or out of his will. The apostle Paul described his life with God like this in Acts 17. He said, in him, I live and I move and I have my being. He was talking to a bunch of people 
who didn't know God, and he said to them, look, let me tell you what it's like doing life with God. He said, in him, I live and move and have my being. What was he saying? He said, look, doing life in God, I don't know what your concept is, whether you think he's a book of rules and regulations and all the things you can't do. No, 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 no. God's quite the opposite. It's doing life in God that gives me freedom. In him, I'm free to be myself. In him, I'm free to live my life. And when I feel stressed and when I feel uneasy and when I'm feeling like I'm burning out, that's my yardstick to tell me I'm out of step with with what God wants me to do in my life. I'm out of his grace because you do know that when you're feeling stressed and when you're feeling burnt out and when you're feeling like the pressure is on, it's not always the enemy on your back. Sometimes it's the restraints of God pulling you back, just letting you know, actually, you're doing something with your life that I haven't orchestrated. It's not going to be good for you. It's not going to go well for you. You know, in the culture of this world, life is hustle and grind. Anybody else find life is hustle and grind? That's the best way to describe the culture, I think, of the current world. But in the kingdom of God, life is ebb and flow. It shouldn't be hustle and grind. We'll go through the same things in life, right? We'll all work our jobs. We're building our families. We're forming our marriages. But in the kingdom of God, there is an ebb and a flow on your life that you don't find when you're not got God as your Lord and Savior, that it's a hustle and grind. You know, in the kingdom of God, God wants you to chase him. But in the culture of the world, they want you to chase it. And I don't know what your it is. Your it can be, put anything in there. It can be your holiday. It could be your next car. It could be a relationship you're pursuing. It could be a financial situation. Like it, it, that's what we want. That's what we want to pursue is the it all of the time. But when we pursue him, the word of God teaches us that the it then comes pursuing us. And I'm going to elaborate on that in a little bit later. But in the culture of this world, there are rules. But in the kingdom of God, there's rhythm. You know, there's a rhythm to your life. There's a way that you do life that is not difficult and it's not hard and it's not pressure filled. There's an ease to doing life. There is a way that God said in place that he says, if you do life this way, I'll take the hustle and grind out of it for you. So when Paul says in him, I live and move and have my being, and I was reading about that, live, move, be, live, move, be. I was thinking about when I was about 11 years old, my dad, for whatever reason, decided I needed to learn to waltz. Now, I don't know what part of his brain thought I would ever need to waltz in my life. I think he suggested, you know, on your wedding day, you're going to waltz. But if you know Luke and I, you would laugh at the very thought of us doing a waltz. And so he would regularly clear the living room floor and he would teach me how to waltz. And it was a one, two, three, one, two, three, and how the footwork worked together. And it was, you know, one foot forward to the side and to and that's as much as you get it. But that's what we would do. And the waltz is a very graceful move, so long as two people are working in tandem together. 
So long as your footwork is marrying up to that of your partners, you can move freely. You can sweep that whole floor. But the minute that your footwork is out of sync with each other, that's when you're in trouble. That's when you're going to trip. That's when you're going to fall. Do you know that our life is supposed to be, it's a waltz with God. He's put a rhythm over our life. The word of God says that we can make our plans, but he orders our steps. So when you're making plans for your life, you need to know, God, is this the step that I'm about to take? Is this the right step? And so that's where the ebb and the flow comes from. There's a grace over your life to help you move through life with rhythm. You were designed Whether you know God or you don't know God, you were designed to move in rhythm with your creator. Think about your physical body. Everything that God did when he put you together, he did to rhythm. The way your heart beats, the way you inhale and exhale and inhale and exhale, it's all done to a rhythm. Our body has this natural rhythm. It's called a circadian rhythm. It's something that God put within us. And the circadian rhythm is responsible for every part of your life. It tells you when to sleep and when to rest, when to be active and when to play, how I feel and how I socialize. It's the circadian rhythm of your life. But do you know that God also set a rhythm in your life for how you move from babyhood to, to, you know, from babyhood to being a toddler, to childhood, to being adolescence, to being adulthood, to parenting, to aging. There is a rhythm for every part of your life. But God also put a rhythm in you for how to do your life. Do you know there's a rhythm to how you do relationships, how you do your marriage, how you work, how you rest? There's also rhythm to how you um, respond to difficult situations, how you resolve conflict, how you make decisions. There is a rhythm that God has given you so it doesn't become the hustle and grind and difficult and anxious and worrying and concerning like we often experience. And yet it's the how to do life that most of us get out of whack with. It's the how to do life that we seem to be out of step with God with. You know, this generation is busier than any other generation upon the earth. That's why John Mark Homer called it hurry sickness. We're busy doing more, getting more, achieving more. We think the answer to all of our problems is found in the more. Like if I just had more, everything would be better. If I just had more uh, money, if I just had more clothes, if I was more like so-and-so, if I just had more time, We all think the answer to whatever the problem is you're facing, we all think that it's found in the more. If I just had more stuff, life would be so much better. But the the more that you're looking for is knocking you out of sync with God's rhythm. And instead of feeling God's grace over your life, you're experiencing the grind of life, where life just feels abrasive, It just feels difficult. It just feels a little bit awkward. And honestly, I think the more that we 
we do this sort of merry-go-dance, this cycle of busy and grind. We're like puppets in the hands of the enemy because the enemy, the devil, he knows he can't take you out, so he'll do the next best thing that he can, and that is to wear you down. Because he knows if he can wear you down, you can't function. He knows that if he can keep you busy, he'll keep you tired. If you can busy your day up, you know, if, you can, if he can get your, you to be so busy during the day, you'll fall asleep at night before you even have a chance to pray. He knows that if he can get your days to be full, then your soul will be empty. So John Mark Homer, he wrote this book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And in it, he lists 10 symptoms that this generation have going on, right? Maybe not all at once, but 10 symptoms that will tell you if you've got this sickness called hurry sickness in your life. And I'm going to go through the 10 symptoms. So if you're here with your spouse or your partner, no nudging, like no looking, this is between you. This is for you to do a self-assessment on you. See if you've got any of these symptoms of hurry sickness. The first one is irritability. Now, we all get irritable from time to time. But when those who you love and those who love you get the worst of you for something they never did to you, then you are excessively irritable. It's when a bad day at work spills over into your home life. And if you want to self-assess whether you are an excessively irritable person, look at how you treat the people around you. Now, I don't mean the people in church, and I don't mean the people you socialize with or those who are in the office with you, because we can all turn it on when we need to. But look at how you are with your spouse, with your children, with your partner, and that will tell you whether you are an excessively irritable person, when your patience has run out with those you are closest to. Second one is hypersensitivity. A small thing becomes a huge thing. A minor comment hurts your feelings. You can no longer have a joke. Constructive criticism feels like character assassination. No one can say anything to you because you're at breaking point all the time. Number three is restlessness. You just can't switch off. You can't sleep. You don't know how to relax. You never slow down. You can't get out of your own head. You're restless all the time. You can take a holiday to the Maldives, but if you can't get your mind off what's happening in Merseyside, the holiday is not going to help because you're just restless all the time. You're the person who puts on a Netflix movie but you're scrolling through your phone at the same time because the Netflix movie is a bit slow in getting going. So while the Netflix movie is getting going, you're there scrolling through the news app, going through your social media feed. You're just looking at everything because you're hooked on this. You're addicted to this drug of speed and and information and, and the wanting, the need to know more. And it's like a dopamine that's surging around your body and you don't feel like you can survive without it, but you're restless because you don't know how to stop or slow down. And it is very quiet in here today. And I feel like the only one up here. (laughs) Number four is workaholism. Now, workaholism is not just staying over at the office 
although that can be part of it, if that's your thing, it's not just all the overtime that you put in. But it's like when you're not busy, you don't know who you are because you've made your identity about what you do. So when you stop doing what you do, you lose your sense of purpose. And so you just keep busy. Some of you just repeatedly clean your house, clean your house, clean your house. You need to get over to mine and start putting some some of that energy to use. But some of you, you, you just clean, clean, clean. Some of you are just busy running around after everybody else, whoever wants you. You're here, you're there, you're everywhere. You've got to busy, 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 because when you stop, that's when you start to feel insecure and you start to, to lose who you are. And so you have this thing called uh, workaholism. But at the end of the day, you're at the end of yourself because you're overtired and you're stressed out with nothing to left to give to your spouse or your children but the grumpy side of you. Emotional numbness, like you just stopped feeling. At some point in life, you, you don't have any empathy for anyone, don't have any sympathy for anyone. You just look at everyone. When people are going through stuff that they're going through, you don't know how to feel or be concerned for the well-being of others Because in order for you to sustain the pace of life that you're doing life at, you have had to harden yourself and become resilient to criticism and resilient to other people's opinions. But in doing so, you have left yourself emotionally numb. Now it is having an effect on the people around you. Number six is out of order priorities. Like your day just runs away with you. Like when you get to the end of the day, you're like, ah, I just didn't do what I said I was going to do today. It didn't go the way that I planned because you get sucked into everything and you have have just not learned to differentiate between urgent and important. And there's a difference. Can I just tell you when the phone rings, it doesn't need answering. Just saying, it does not need to be answered. The text message can wait, doesn't need a response now. The email can wait till Monday when you're back in the office. If somebody wants to meet you for a coffee, it doesn't have to be within the next 24 hours. You are in charge of you. Schedule yourself. Learn to differentiate between what is urgent and what is important. Get what is important done. And so what happens when you live life like that is you begin to live life reactive rather than proactive. So when you get to the end of your day, you've been absolutely flat out busy, but you've actually really achieved nothing. So you never really get around to doing what really matters. Number seven is lack of care for your body or yourself. Just lack of self-care. Can I just say, right, (laughs) the body you've got is the body you're doing life in. That's it. Like, you don't get another shot at this, like, in a different body. You're you. Look after the one you've got. Just take care of it. We're not talking about, you know, being a size six supermodel, but what we are just talking about is self-care, just the basics, good eight hours sleep, drink plenty of water, some good home-cooked food, and get some regular daily exercise. Because when you don't just put the basics of self-care in, and we all just get too busy, and that goes out the window. But then when you don't put basic self-care in, you start running off caffeine and sugar and processed foods and a little drop of alcohol. And you're wondering why I'm waking up tired and I'm putting weight on. 
and I'm feeling stressed and I don't feel good about myself and I get run down easily. It's because you've got a hurry sickness and one of the first things to go out of your schedule is personal self-care. Number eight is escapist behavior. This is when you are too tired to actually do what is life-giving to your soul, so you just do what is convenient for yourself. And so you go to a distraction of your choice and you escape. So it might be overeating, might be overdrinking, might be surfing the internet, might be idly looking through social media for hours on end, binge, binge watching, a, a, you know, a Netflix movie or, or just binge watching Netflix. And, you know, we all use some of these things to switch off. And that's okay, by the way. It's okay to, to have a, a go-to to switch off. But when we don't use them as a switch off, when we get too tired, what happens is they become what is known as socially accepted addictions. And when it becomes your socially accepted addiction, this is really important, it robs you of your life. These are your best years. And you're wasting them on mind-numbing escapism. God says, I've got so much life for you to live, but you're just filling yourself up on fruitless resources and is wasting years of your life. Number nine, we're nearly there, and then you can all, whew. okay, number nine is the spirit, slippage of spiritual discipline. So if you call yourself a Christ follower, when you get too busy, the first thing to go is that which truly gives life to your soul. The thing that should be your first to go to is usually your first to go. Your first to go to should be, I have five minutes with God every morning. Before I leave the house, literally before I've done anything else, it's my five minutes with God. I'm just going to pray. I'm just going to read his word. It's personal worship. And then what happens is you start missing church. I'm here this week. I won't be there next week. I can't make it that week. We slip in life group. We stop going to life group. Why? Because all of this um, personal disciplines, they take time and they take effort. And so when you don't want to put your spiritual disciplines in place, what happens is you just become so overtired that you do what is convenient. And so you can't get your five minutes with God at the beginning of the day, and you haven't got time to pick up your Bible at any point in the day, but you do have time for a cheap bottle of wine and another numbing Netflix series on TV. So what is your first to go to becomes your first to go. And number 10 is isolation. Now, isolation doesn't necessarily mean just you being physically alone in your flat at home. That's not the isolation that I'm talking about. You can be in a crowded room and you can be isolated. You can be in the company of great people and you can still be isolated. It's when you're there, but you're not present. We used to have a rule when our kids were growing up at the dinner table, no phones. Like we gather as a family and we eat, but no phones, because otherwise we were all together, but we were all somewhere else at the same time. 
So though we were together in each other's company, we were isolated all in our own little individual worlds. So we banned the phones from the table. So for you, this looks like when you're at home with the family, but you can't switch off from work. It's when you're away on the holiday, but your mind is closing the business deal. It's when you're on a date with hair, but you're scrolling through the football scores. You know what I'm saying? Like at the same time. You're here and trying to be there all at the same time. So you're doing life in isolation because you're not actually with anyone anywhere. And I think what surprised me most of all when I looked down this list of symptoms of hurry sickness is none of them really seemed out of the ordinary because somehow, some way, all of them have become a normalized part of our everyday life. But I want you to know that what the world is calling normal for your life is not normal for the life that God intended you to live because we are literally living life at a pace of life that is out of pace for our life. And the things that we have accepted as normal are not normal for the kingdom of God. We have developed an appetite for more, but it's more of the wrong stuff. And God said, if only you could develop an appetite for more of the God stuff, you would find the other stuff will come into your life anyway. I said before, the world wants you chasing it. I don't know what your it is. It, the relationship, the finance deal, the the answer, the friend, the car, the holiday, everyone has an it. But when you chase him, it will come and find you. That is a biblical law. It's a principle. Jesus said in Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be given to you as well. All what things? All your it things will be given to you as well. I want to read what Matthew 6 reads like in the message translation. It says, if God gives such attention to the appearance of wildflowers, most of which are never seen, don't you think he'll attend to you? Don't you think he'll take pride in you and do his best for you? What I'm trying to do here is get you to relax. So you love the way Jesus talks. What I'm trying to do, people, is get you to relax. Don't be so preoccupied with your getting so you can respond to God's giving. I just love that. He's like, look, if you would just stop pursuing your it and turn your attention to God, he will give you the thing that you're stressing out about trying to get in your life anyway. He says, people who don't know God and the way he works fuss over things, but you know both God and how he works. So steep your life in God reality, in God initiative, in God provisions, and don't worry about missing out. You'll find all of your everyday human concerns will be met. Amen. If you don't know anything else by the time you leave this place today, know this, that God loves you, that God is for you. And when your life is in him, all of your everyday human concerns will be met. When you get it through your own struggle, 
and your own pursuits. Though you might have what you want, you will still be left feeling empty, discontented, frustrated, and wanting more. But when it comes to you through your pursuit of God, it satisfies the soul like nothing on this earth could ever satisfy. If this generation is one of hurry sickness, as Christians, we're supposed to be looking at the life of Christ and model aspects of our life of him. Jesus lived on the earth till he was 33 years old. But he actually only did ministry. He only did works for the last three years of his life. But the Bible is only the part of Jesus' life that we're informed of. Bible scholars tell you to, it would take volumes to write about all the works and all the things that Jesus did. Jesus did more in his three years upon the earth than you and I would be able to achieve if we were given 300 years on earth. He did more in those three years and yet he still slept. He took naps. Read the New Testament. He took naps. He rested. He spent time with his father and he hung out with his friends and still managed to get done in three years everything that he'd been sent to do. How? Well, because he moved with a rhythm of grace upon his life. And when you move your life in rhythm with what God has purposed for your life, you succeed and you win and you achieve and you accomplish. Do you know that there are people who are losing their marriages over pursuing their it? destroying their families, missing their kids growing up, pursuing their it. People are literally losing their minds, pursuing what they want in life. And yet Jesus shows us when you get into the slipstream of God's rhythm for your life, you can't achieve more. You can't have more. You will go further. You will accomplish more and still hold on to your marriage and still keep a relationship with your children and still stay in your right mind also. Why? Because it's not a hustle and grind. It's an ebb and a flow. There's just a rhythm for doing life. And I want to finish on this scripture that Jesus was talking to a group of people. Actually, they were religious uh, people of that day. And they were so caught up and bound by rules and the rules and the regulations and what you could do and what you couldn't do and when it was the right time to do that and the wrong time to do that. Jesus was like, oh, you guys, they were competing and comparing. They were always finger pointing and criticizing and trying to catch each other out for breaking the rules and the customs of the day. And in Matthew 11, Jesus said to them three questions. He said, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burnt out on religion? Like, he asked them, I mean, are you tired? He I actually think what Jesus was saying, Liverpool's version, you're burning my head out. I literally think he's saying, you people, you burn my head out. 
like trying to keep up with your traditions and your rules and your ways. And if I do this, I'll get this. He said, come to me and get away with me and you'll recover your life. And I will show you how to take a real rest. Do you know what a real rest is, people? It's not just going to sleep at night. That's sleeping. But a real rest is when your soul is at rest. I can breathe. My mind's not racing. I'm not worried and stressed. Why? Because Jesus shows me how to take a real rest. He says, walk with me and work with me. I'll show you. He said, watch me. Watch how I do it. What was he saying? Watch how I do life. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you will learn to do life lightly and freely. Keep company with me. Let me show you where I believe many of us go wrong and self-sabotage our own lives because most of us know what it is to be in the company of Jesus. But we don't know what it is to keep company with Jesus. You see, when you're in the company of Jesus, you're in the company of Jesus right now just being here in this room it's the environment you know when you hang out with Christian friends those of you who have maybe got Christians in your family and you know you're in the company of Jesus when you're hanging out with them but that's just being in the environment of but what Jesus actually said was keep company with me keeping company with me it's personal He's after personal engagement with you. Right now in this room, I'm in the company of Sarah because we're in the same environment together. But it's only when I keep company with her that I get to know her personally. Don't ever get so caught up on coming to church week in, week out, or just having surface conversations where you are in the company of Jesus, but you don't know what it is to learn from his life by keeping company with Jesus. He wants you to keep company with him. Seek first the kingdom of God. Don't sabotage your own life. Keep first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. Get your soul right first and your goal will follow. Can we stand in here this morning, church? When you seek first the kingdom of God, you begin to eliminate hurry out of your life. When you seek first the kingdom of God, You stop chasing after it and you start chasing after him. And then all of a sudden you turn around and you go, oh my gosh, the it's that I so desired in life have come and found me. It's an ebb and a flow and it's different. So I want to pray with us all now as we bring this session to a close. And I hope this has given you some food for thought. And I hope that you know and that you understand, actually, God's got a rhythm for your life. 
And you don't have to go through every single day feeling like you're butting heads with the world because it's a struggle. So Heavenly Father, I thank you for every person present here. Lord, I thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you, God, that you're not a God that just saved us and left us, but actually that you want to get involved in the everyday runnings of our life. That, Lord, that you have a way of life that you want to download to us, that you want to teach us. God, that though we may go through situations and face situations just like everybody else does, but, Lord, you said, just do it under my grace. And let me breathe a rhythm into your life and show you how to do life with so much more ease. Father, I thank you, God, that as we leave this place today, that you go with us. But may we be mindful, Lord, not just to keep company with you, but Lord God, that we are walking in the company with you, Lord. Let us learn your ways. Let us learn your principles, Father God, and change the way that we handle life. Amen. And I just want to give opportunity because we never close a service without giving an opportunity. I don't know what brings you into church today, but maybe you never have known what it is to do life with grace on your life. Maybe you have never known what it is to do life in a way where you could be guided by God. You could know that Jesus is with you. He's not just here in a church building. Jesus doesn't really care very much for these four walls, but he cares about you. And he wants to be ever present with you. And he wants to help you pursue your it. But in order to do that, we have to invite him in to be our personal Lord and Savior. So as I pray this prayer, if that is you, if you've never asked Jesus to be your personal Lord and Savior, or maybe you used to go to church a long time ago, but those ways have slipped from you because you've been hurt or you've been offended or you didn't really understand. I want to tell you right now, okay? Forget religion. Jesus is interested in you. He knows you. Whether you know him or not, he knows you. He knows the circumstances of your life. He knows the pressure you're under, the struggles you're facing. He knows you. He's just waiting for you to say, I, I want to do life under your rhythm. I want to do life knowing you as my Lord. So as I pray this prayer, just repeat it after me. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, that I find myself here today not just being in the environment of you, but actually I'm learning about you. Jesus, I'm inviting you to be my Savior and to be my Lord. Father God, help me each and every day to put you first and to follow your lead. Forgive me for trying to navigate life on my own. I trust, Lord, that as I pursue you, you and your love will come chasing after me. And I thank
thank you for this. In the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We hope that you can take that message and apply it to your life. Also, don't forget to take a moment to subscribe, rate and review this podcast. To get connected or stay more connected to the life of Liverpool One Church and learn how you can join us live, visit liverpoolonechurch.com. Thanks again for joining us and we hope to see you again soon.